Welcome to ThoughtSpeak, the original Animorphs podcast dedicated to K.A. Applegate's sci-fi classic. I'm your host, Michelle. And I'm Coleman. And we are back for another wonderful review and discussion of our favorite childhood series, Animorphs. So glad to be back with you, Coleman. How you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, Surprise, listeners. We didn't quit for five years after the last episode. So... You know, we're just back in a couple weeks, which is not bad for us. Yeah, we're we're pumping these things out uh, pretty relative to how we've been doing in the past. So good for us, right? Yeah, good good by our standards, not great by normal podcast standards. <laughs> okay, uh, fair fair enough. Uh, tonight's uh, episode is is a little treat here because it harkens back to the days of old. Uh, when the series was fresh with new ideas and and evokes uh, very nostalgic feelings because tonight we are talking Animorphs book number 48, The Return. And, uh, you know, this is, this is a very mixed book, I feel. Well, let's not get to our thoughts yet. We, we always blow that too early. But let's, let's talk about, I want to know your experience with this book. Was this one you had read before? Was this a regular book for you? What what? Where did you come about it back in the past? Uh, you know, I read it uh, once during my initial go through of the series. Um, I think I reread it in college, and and every time I just sort of kind of had the exact same reaction to it. And uh, we'll we'll discuss what that further reaction is. But I feel like this is one that a lot of the fans eventually seek out and find just because of the the whole draw the appeal of of the concept of this one which i don't want to just say flat out just yet well yeah i mean to me and i i don't think we i don't think it's spoiling the concept uh is a big deal since we're talking about the book today but uh for me i think people come back to this book because the david trilogy is so popular like of the series people you know, they reread sections sometimes or certain books. And the David trilogy is, I think, one of the sections that people reread a lot, uh, even outside of just a general reread of the entire series. So so this book, you know, gives us the dream of revisiting that character of David. Um, just might, maybe not as well as you hoped uh, it would. <laughs> well, but... it really depends on what the reader wants and needs from a, a good David return story. Okay. Yeah. And our listeners know that we, uh, you know, went into this podcast, not having read every book in the series. Like obviously Animorphs was important to us, but you miss a lot of books when there's 54 of them sometimes, especially in the ghost written sections. And 48 was not one of those books for me. I owned this one. And read it a bunch. Um, I'm not saying this because I loved it, but uh, I do think it was more interesting to me. And I, I loved the character of David. I, I think he's uh, one of the most interesting characters in the entire series, and that includes the main characters. So, uh, a revisit to him uh, was always something that I, I reread on my on my series re- uh, read throughs. And uh, reading it now, I, I definitely feel like I have a new perspective on it than I might have even had back then. So. We'll get into that a little bit later. You know, I I, I will say that uh, these Rachel books, especially towards the latter end of the series here, tended to be a lot more weird. They they really took chances on, on doing some different things with their Rachel stories, like the starfish one. Um, you know, she's got a very clearly defined character arc, and they just put her in some weird situations, and, and this is another Well, not counting... Not counting the... Uh the end of the series this is the last rachel book right oh don't put me on the spot when i don't have my whole stack in front of me uh it's it's okay i i'm pretty sure that this is the last rachel book it Um, it might possibly be you might be right about that um because it does seem to like it's trying to wrap up some of her storylines and and her fears and stuff throughout the series uh, in ways so it's you know if you're a big rachel fan maybe this book was a disappointing ending to those storylines but i know she has a section in the last book before she gets ganked um as we all know <laughs> so um but yeah I, I i personally i think this is the last rachel book okay um you know 
it's it's really sad like that her character arc ended up this way this is a this I, I have very conflicted uh, feelings on this overall story that I want to get into uh, during my actual review. So I think real quick, I need to thank a couple Patreons, uh, Patreon subscribers, um, because our Patreon is, in fact, back up and running at uh, uh, full capacity now. And we would love to have <laughs> all of our beautiful subscribers that, that used to contribute to the show uh, back in full force. But off the bat, we have Daniel Martinoli, Ben Freeman, Jeff Kerman, and uh, oh, our good friend Aegon the Chimera Demon. Um, <laughs> supporting the show. <laughs> old Aegon. <laughs> we love him, the old office Chimera Demon. Uh, helping helping us get the show out to you, our, our beautiful audience of listeners, uh, much more effectively and efficiently and uh, promptly, I will say, your donations certainly help us get these out more promptly. So thank you for, and uh, please check us out on Patreon or uh, YouTube. Heck, if you're a YouTube listener, good to have you. Uh, we are on YouTube as well. And we're, we're playing around with the ideas of coming back and doing uh, the live broadcasts of the uh, podcast like we used to right before we stopped uh, podcasting we got into having a live chat with listeners talking to us during the episode recording which was uh pretty crazy but if you do want to support us on patreon that uh uh website is patreon.com slash thought cast and uh yeah we appreciate anybody who who goes on and does that that really helps out the show i would be willing to offer as a potential reward for patreon subscribers uh the ability when we potentially uh wrap up our reviews on the books and transition into the tv series the the ability to do like a live watch along where we're watching the episode um with the fans, you know, and, and sort of doing like live reviews, something like that, something fun. That would something be cool. Something communal I would, be for that. would be wonderful. Now, right now, do we do offer um, um, episodes to our Patreon listeners that are only for the Patreon? So that we have a, uh, we brought back our private thought speak, which we just recorded a new one right before this episode. Uh, that's just kind of like off topic with us. If you like hearing us talk about things, um, that episode that we just recorded, that'll be up um, before this episode goes live uh was about uh, our writing and and us you know diving into the writing community and and what we've done over the years and kind of our past and goals so that was a cool episode to record so hopefully uh hopefully you check it out fun times and i really want more than four people to hear it for sure so yeah. <laughs> sign up for the patreon even if it's the lowest tier you'll get that bonus show and i promise you it's worth it it's like 20 extra minutes of you know me and 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 him banter and him that so, guy <laughs> the two of us uh before we get in the book i or i would just like to say also if you if you don't want to donate to the patreon that's fine i would ask though if you enjoy the show whatever app or website you're listening to us on whether it's spotify or anything else leave us a review um that really really helps get word out about the show and we're trying to get word out to everyone who used to listen and and, and enjoy the show and i think a lot of them still don't know that we exist again or have rebooted the show. So that's it for plugs. I just wanted to, you know, <laughs> say that you could still help the show out without throwing money at us. So, <laughs> Oh yeah, absolutely. All the thumbs up, likes, subscribes, uh, that good stuff. Now we can get into a very, very, uh, I'm staring at, I gotta be honest with you. I think this is the worst book cover I've ever seen we'll, in this series. We'll get into that right now after this quick quick little little ad read uh that you're gonna listen to right now yeah well that was super interesting uh but this is a real work of art what what i'm examining here this is another one of those book covers that i swear to that I am embarrassed to go out in public if I were to be carrying this thing around. Rachel looks like she's turning into Wolverine on this thing. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it's more uh, uh, Lady What's-Her-Face, Wolverine's enemy who had the fingernails who came out into, like, metal uh, claws. But, 
uh, yeah, it's it is agree with you. Like, there's some Animorphs books that it's like, oh, there's a cow on the front of it. This is fine. I'll read this on the subway. Uh, but uh, a teenage girl morphing into a more muscular teenage girl with with claws. It's just it doesn't read well if you're not in the know. <laughs> it's it's just strange. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I mean, it's got really great. Uh colors other than the the weird probably dare i say weirdest transformation to ever grace one of these covers um like the the initial picture of rachel i think is probably one of the best the rachel models has ever looked for her um i think it's it's a perfect representation of her it's just the the bizarreness of the transformation juxtaposed against this like beautiful like almost sunset golden hour-y kind of uh or maybe it's a sunrise um it's just like it doesn't fit it doesn't work i mean it's so weird is there another animal in this book that you would have gone with instead like we've already seen the rat morphs we don't really need that again um you know just do beaver again just a second (laughs) another beaver right after the other uh you know i gotta be honest with you i don't know if um they could have gotten really creative and had like Rachel morphing into Krayak and given us a, a visual representation of Krayak. That'd have been yeah, just cool. to have a, just to have a, a drawn form would have been cool. But there, there was no morph of the week uh, to give her for, for this book. And it wouldn't have fit to just use one of her random battle morphs. Yeah, you could have gone bear, but we've already had so many bear covers. So that makes sense um either way we can agree that maybe maybe if it's weird for the cover of the book maybe it shouldn't have been written into the book (laughs) maybe that's the solution uh that probably would have helped the overall book but i will give it credit because uh the cover quote says the sixth anamorph is back and he's not happy which is is very true to the book great yeah it's one of the rare ones that actually refers to the plot of the book so good on you that it gets points (laughs) yeah well uh do you want to talk about the inside cover can you see it uh yeah so it's her facing up against uh visitor Visitor one one at this point um which is rad like actually that's kind of cool um and it is very relevant to the plot which again is is rare for these inside covers it's it's definitely cool, yeah. It's just so bad that they went with a weird Rachel design, like a yeah. Seriously, and if you're gonna do this, why not do the the her forty feet tall, like holding Visor One, like about to chomp down on him? That would have been cool. This it seriously looks. Besides the like goofy nails, it looks like um, Rachel just decided to be like a non-binary trans masculine. <laughs> maybe that was the goal who knows uh well it worked wonders for her if that was her intent um but uh do you want to read the back of the book or do you uh defer to oh, me to these that. yeah i don't have that in front of me so that's all you oh, oh okay yeah fair enough i just had the front covers it is it is permanently delegated to me then is what you're saying no i can get it i just need more notice than hey go read it cool cool Uh, I gotcha. I gotcha. David, the sixth Animorph, is back. When the Animorphs and Axe decided to give another human being the power to morph, it was one of their biggest mistakes. David tried to destroy all of them and almost succeeded. Rachel and the others thought they'd seen the last of him when they trapped David as a Nothlet, leaving him on a deserted island to live out his days as a rat. They were wrong. Rachel knows what a threat David is. He's cunning and dangerous. Worst of all, he knows their secrets. Now he's captured Rachel as part of his plan to take over everything. David wants power, money, but more than anything, he wants revenge. Oh, I almost thought at the end it was going to say, and more than anything, he wants Rachel. And more than anything, he wants a friend. (laughs) Somebody to talk to about rat things, uh, how bad the island was that they left him on. Uh, it was like Lord of the Flies, but for rats. I like how, for all the, um, I don't know, 
goodwill that Cassie showed him in the previous trilogy. Um, all that earned her was he wasn't going to capture her and turn him her into his rap friend because he she was her his first choice just because he liked her. So it was just like, you know, good on her. So it shows that, out of that what she did mattered to yeah. to her, I guess. Overall. <laughs> yeah. Also, we're gonna get to it in the plot, but can we talk about when we get there, the fact that that rat David made a bargain with a god essentially or the devil and it really doesn't benefit him much like he doesn't <laughs> not become a nothlet or anything he just gets a rat friend to live in agony with him oh yeah yeah no um dude's plan was not very well thought out like bro you could have gotten like some fiddle <laughs> skills or something better than that you could have gotten a new body maybe oh but <laughs> or literally anything morphing capability <laughs> Okay, yeah, that definitely brings up a huge uh, point of how this book could have been better, but we'll save it for a little bit. I mean, Kreak's not the Alimus. Alimus is passing out morphine ability to anyone who wants it, so. <laughs> um, so, let's see. You want to dive right into it? Should I, should I yeah, start telling you about it. this book? Because it actually has, I think, a pretty gripping opening scene. It really does. This is... As far that as... it stole from X-Men 2. <laughs> okay, maybe. I didn't think of that when I read it, but it definitely got my attention as soon as I heard, like, in the White House talking about the president. I was like, whoa, snap. I better yeah. pay attention in this Rachel book. <laughs> and you have you have in your... I'm going to... A little inside baseball to the, uh, the listeners. We write summaries that we go off of and talk about it. Um, but Michelle has written this one... And you say that the group snuck into the White House. I didn't take it as that. I took it as they were just, like, taking a tour for school, like a field trip. Oh, well, I mean, I guess that could be the case, but what are the odds? Because do you, you well, know... they talk they're... about that. They talk about it being, like, what are the odds that the Yerks would attack the White House while they were there? That's what clues you in that it's a dream. The coincidence of it all. Oh, okay. Well, I guess I didn't read into it that much. I just thought, well, this is obviously an out-of-state mission. Their their real school is probably not taking a trip across the country um, to visit the White House. And I mean, they could go with DC. I mean, I I lived near DC, so I know that it was normal. My school took a class trip to DC, but I figure um, at this point in the the um, series, they're not really even attending school anymore. For the most part, they're probably more often than not skipping. But they also say that in the book. They say that Marco shouldn't have been there because he wasn't in school. I think that's I think that's a big part of this book is that it was a school trip. That could be. Um, and it's like like I said, it's a very cool setup to have the Animorphs in the White House. In the White House, yeah. So close to the president and then the Yerks attack. And it's like, wow, mm-hmm. things are about to get real. Um, I would love the uh, Alterna morph version of this book, uh, where they, it, you know, the Yerks don't attack, but their goal is to sneak into the Oval Office and tell the president about the Yerks. <laughs> okay, yeah, that would be cool. Hashtag I want that book. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. The the problem that at least I I have is that it pretty immediately, well, before it's revealed that it's a dream sequence. Uh, we get an inner look at like Rachel's psyche and and what she's thinking about things as they go down. <laughs> and in particular, the way that she's starting to handle her relationship with Jake as a leader follower is really on thin ice, and it's not what we would call healthy these days. At least in the dream, I couldn't tell 100% because so many of these parts of this beginning of the book are like dream sequences and stuff, whether she's actually thinking these thoughts uh, when she's awake, you know, is she debating with herself of attacking Jake in the middle of a mission uh, to take leadership and stuff, or is that part of her being asleep and having like wild thoughts, you know? Yeah, it's it's a bizarre trip into Rachel's psyche which is is so paranoid that every little 
you know, action is actually a microaggression against her. Um, especially when it comes to Jake, she's got a couple of bump ins with him, um, here in the beginning of the book, but she, you know, becomes enraged just by him telling her to sit back and, and, you know, not go berserk in the fight. And she takes this the worst possible way and decides that she's going to end up challenging Jake for supremacy of the group uh, even though she's later capable of admitting that, like, she's done that and it didn't go well. <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, this is one of the books that really feeds into the the narrative of this series that these kids uh, aren't doing well mentally from being, you know, warriors and, and soldiers in this war. Um, she's starting to crack. She's the, you know, arguably one of the strongest Animorphs because she's actually gung-ho about the fighting, and it still traumatized her and, and really messed with her at a deep level. Um, because, that, I mean, that paranoia is very real to someone who's been to war. And, and it's just, it's like being frightened of nothing and, and being paranoid of who's in charge and should I be in charge? Uh, all that stuff, I think it feeds into the the idea of the mental, you know, anguish these kids are going through. So Yeah, and Rachel in particular uh, faces sort of a different challenge in this whole area. Um, she feels like her, her teammates all have appropriate reasons to be fighting in this war. And she comes to feel that the only reason like she's fighting is because she's the only one who actually like really likes it and, and wants to battle and have that like violent savagery, uh, and her teammates are constantly reminding her of it. <laughs> and this is what's feeding this paranoia that 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 is all they see her as now. And we did have, in the beginning, when we got each individual book um, that kind of told why, why each Animorph was fighting, like why they joined the war and actually accepted being an Animorph, we did get a Rachel book where she said she was kind of fighting for her her sisters and and her dad and you know her family like that was kind of her reason but this book really kind of turns on that a little bit and says that her reason was she liked it she was into the fight the the idea of her boring life it wasn't something that she wanted and and the war was an excuse to to let loose so a little bit of a retcon there by uh by ghostwriter yeah well and it i guess um another reason that would go all the way back to book two is she you know had a personal stake in it because of her friendships and and her community with uh melissa and you know it was like so personal um but they really dropped the whole social aspect melissa (laughs) well the social (laughs) aspect of rachel's life outside of the group you know she doesn't hang out with melissa or anybody else anymore she's she's flying with tobias all the time when she murdered Melissa in book 32, uh, that was a that was a big deal. I hope you're making that up. Because <laughs> yeah, Melissa just disappeared. No one knows what happened to her. I just assume she's Rachel a yerk. finally got sick of her. Yeah, She's a yerk, totally. She's, she, yeah, she's, she doesn't have a yerk in her. She she morphed into a yerk and became a yerk knock. Oh, uh, okay then. We need the Melissa Chronicles. Hashtag I want that book. Forget the Pimelites. For, Give us forget Melissa's the G Chronicles. Give us the Melissa yeah. Chronicles. That's <laughs> the good stuff. Well, okay, so we have a really cool opening scene that, you know, after a, a couple of chapters uh, of intrigue, it sort of just deposits the reader at, into, like, here's a harsh transition. None of that actually mattered other than to set up that Rachel's really, really not in a good place mentally. Um, it was a dream sequence and now the real story is kind of starting, right? So Rachel's, Rachel's going to, uh, check out Cassie and the the team and see, you know, what's this week's adventure. Um, she wants to tell Cassie about these conflicted feelings she's having, but she gets there and Cassie's not there, of course, but Marco and Axe are there. And this just is, serves no other purpose than for her to have a little stilted, uh, dialogue conversation with these two and just further drive home the like separate mentalities that they've kind of developed in this war. Well, yeah. And putting a barrier between the rest of the Animorphs and, and Rachel 
And um, when that goes not well for her, uh, her and Tobias take off and, and, you know, take a little flight to, to chill out and calm down. And uh, that's when she sees the, the, the red beacon in the distance. That's kind of a, a through line throughout this book, the, the red light or the red beam. Yes, it's the telltale heart, if you will. Or Krayak, if you will. <laughs> the red eye of Krayak. There you go, yeah. So she she does get this like decompression scene with Tobias, who is basically her only like line of credibility for people that she trusts anymore, you know. And I say boyfriend. She she calls him her boyfriend in this uh book, which is a development. Yeah, you know what? I would I would not be surprised. I don't think she said anything specifically about it in the book, but I would not be surprised if Rachel suspected that her mom and sisters that she lives with are controllers as well and she lives like that, you know. Um so oh, she's, I she's very paranoid. I mean, they're all they're all careful, but I don't think there's any any indication that they're taken i think she would i mean she might not know but i think she'd have a clue or they'd be so suspectful i I just think tobias is like the literally only person she can trust um yeah with that's that's true basically anything and yeah he tries to kind of you know talk her down a little bit as he does but um uh the, the the whole book is sort of like very fragmented. I I felt like there was not a whole lot of like traditional flow between scenes. You know what I mean? Like I think that was intentional. I think they were going for like a you know, you never know if she's dreaming, you know, feel like, yeah. you know, hard transitions to the next section. That so. that was very much the vibe I got because everything was just so like cut you know hard cut um because the next thing that that happens uh well she's uh she goes to school yeah um and and the school part uh really only served the purpose again i think of setting up Rachel's progressing paranoia at her whole situation, the team dynamic. Um, it gives her a little chance uh, to kind of interact with um, Jake and Cassie again. Well, they start bringing in the the um, you know the hints of David as well here because she hears rats in the lockers or in the walls, and that's where you start. You know, anything rat related is going to be you know related to David. Yes, and and that's right. In particular, it starts with the sounds of rats, and it it evokes the imagery of if you're familiar with like classic narratives, um, the Telltale Heart, and then I feel like it's funny in in fiction uh, when something clearly like not copies but pays homage to something. And then also mentions that something within the text. <laughs> Cause yeah, no, no, it's, it's very obvious. And then they flat out say it, that this is a, a, their version of the telltale heart. Yeah. Um, with the, with a very different sort of twist, I guess for the whole end. Yeah. But after the hearing the rats, they go back to, uh, after school, she goes to find Cassie and talk to her about everything that's going on. Cause Cassie, I think, less so than Tobias at this point, but is still her best friend and is still her, her, you know, someone she can actually let loose with and tell her real feelings and what's going on with Jake and all of that. But when she gets there, uh, she can't find Cassie. She lands, she demorphs. And then Cassie comes like running out of a field or the barn or something. And she's just like being pursued by thousands of rats. Um, and this is where they really hit home. It's like, hey, David's back. This 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 was so bizarre. Like <laughs> the the way that you you described it sounds so much more epic than like how it actually went down. I'm assuming because it just talks about you know Rachel's flying overhead and she's like, okay, I'm gonna go sit down at Cassie's for another little 
just chat with her or whatever. And that's what the reader's preparing for, right? And then all of a sudden it's like, no, that scene's not going to happen. Instead, we got rats chasing Cassie. And it be- it makes you question again uh, whether this is dream or reality because Rachel and Cassie end up falling into like a lake because they're, they're covered in rats. And they're like, let's get into the water because rats can't swim. Which is not entirely true. Rats can swim, actually. Um, I don't think if you're if you're being swarmed by rats, jumping into a lake is, um, I don't. Know, it might be your best defense, to be honest. But I don't. Rats can swim, so I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> but they get dragged under the water, and it's like, is this really happening, or what's going on here? Yeah, and it's especially weird when they fall into the water, and the rats are like drowning a little bit, or they're they're you know they're they're in their clothes and all this sort of stuff, but they are kind of getting away. And then something grabs Rachel and pulls her down. And so this really seems like we're in a dream. And I think that was intentional in this book, but it gets a little confusing onto what was a dream and what was like Crayax meddling and what was actually David. And that gets a little weird, uh, especially here. They never explain this. But anyway, they wake up uh, from being, I guess, passed out from drowning, but they survive. Um, they wake up in a sewer system uh i i pictured like the big underground cavern home of the teenage mutant ninja turtles <laughs> from the third movie that's what i always picture uh like the subway but like the the bricks and the you know just like a way too big subway uh or, or like underground sewage place and they're both in like these anamorphs uh specific cages so they're they're glass like boxes but I guess like impenetrable, like you couldn't just morph an elephant and crash through them. And then they somewhere a glass store is killing it with with all these anti-anamorph devices. It's the no, it's the same glass they use to hold the whales in Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home. (laughs) You know, it's just like a future polycarbonate. It's awesome. Um, And then it's lined on the inside with like an insecticide. Um, to keep them from morphing like, you know, uh, roach and just like finding a way out because there's holes to let them breathe. So, uh, you know, it's, it's building up that David's so smart. He got them trapped in here and he, he thought of everything because if there's one thing I think back to the David trilogy is how much of a genius that dumb little kid was. <laughs> yeah, I, I he always had the... Um air of somebody who was very confident you know that that he was coming out on top in any situation um but not a whole lot of follow-through is is kind of how i remember him yeah and we introduce so we get david back he he you know promptly comes and and tells them his whole big plan of catching her and catching Cassie and and how much he's been messing with her kind of alluding that some of her dreams are or, you know some of this was was part of David's plan but that didn't really make sense but that's intentional uh, on the book's part um so at this point it's just David talking about how he uh, is going to trap Rachel in her nothlet rat form he's going to force her to morph to rat or he's going to kill Cassie basically and he sees that she sees that Cassie's like uh her box is airtight and she's starting to suffocate and so basically she doesn't morph rat and stay there for two hours uh David's gonna kill Cassie and Rachel believes him and and that's how we go forward we also meet David's um two uh, minions who he hired with money because apparently he's been going into banks and stealing money and hiring humans using thought speak uh, and he also tells about how he got off the rock or whatever. But I pictured these two humans as literally the henchmen from 101 Dalmatians. Like, <laughs> like teenage <laughs> like, versions of them. Yeah, but like even dressed in like like period English attire <laughs> and couple Dalmatian puppies running around. Oh no, I saw them as like the um the bullies, the like two of the random bullies from The Simpsons. Um, more, more like that. Oh yeah. <laughs> or, or, uh, uh, was it Bulk and Scully from like Power oh, Rangers? Oh, Bulk and Scully. That also would have, yeah, Bulk and Scully. Yeah, that that also would have worked. That would be a great, um, uh, yeah, comparison as well. There, there are two ne'er do well, um, kids. You know, tempted by the promise of a, a magical rat with his money, um, and it, it almost makes me think like, are these, are these kids even real? Or, or was this all just part of David's weird plan? Because as we were discussing... Oh, I think they were real. 
Oh, okay. They, 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 they might have been. I, I really think they were. They might have been. Yeah, because they... Cause, because why would it go to the trouble of them like running away and stuff later in the book, like talking about them trying to get out of there? Oh yeah, I, I guess that's true. I there was just always a part of me that thought because Drode and Krayak specifically are involved, maybe both mm-hmm. of those kids were just stand-in avatars for them. But you yeah, know, which we've already we already spoiled it. But this is when you know there's there's some banter back and forth. They're they're waiting, and I think they wait an hour and like 45 minutes or something uh, in the book. And like, that's just like a passed over. And then that's when Rachel and David are talking and you hear laughter. And Rachel's like, I've heard that laughter before. Who's that from? And I've, she hears it a couple of times. It's like leading up to the reveal that the drode is there. And the drode we've only seen a couple of times throughout, the, throughout the series, but we've seen him um, more than crack. <laughs> yeah, absolutely true. Uh, we're about to see Kreak a lot more when we get to the Limits Chronicles, but um, the Drode reveals himself and says, "Ha ha ha ha! This is me and Kreak. We're we're the real, real ones behind it." Um, and they are there basically to give David a chance to tr- fool Rachel, but Rachel figures this out even before the Drode starts laughing that. None of what happened at the beginning of the book makes sense. The the rats and and David talking about finding rat friends who he explained his plan to, and they went along. Like, there's not sentient rats. This isn't a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, so, so she figures it out, and because she figured it out, it broke the treaty that Krayak had with David because he gave him a chance to trick and and you know turn Rachel into an offlet. Oh, is but that how the rule works? Fe- yeah, and now that she figured it out. Um, Krayak and Drode reveal themselves and and tell her that she he's the mastermind and he's there not to trap her or kill her or anything like that. He wants to entice her to join him, and all she has to do is just little little tiny little favor for Krayak and kill her cousin Jake, leader <laughs> of the Animorphs. Yeah, and wherein lies really the the actual meat of this book and, and the story altogether. Um, even though it's billed as the return of David, it it progresses from here with David being more of a bit player um, in the overall story. And and we can discuss David's plan overall. We were kind of mocking him earlier before we began recording. Because dude did not really think this plan through in its entirety in terms of what he could have got for a reward, other than torturing Rachel. No, and and they um they built it up kind of that Rachel like figured it out, but his plan was dumb. And I think <laughs> we've seen in multiple books that Rachel is not the sharpest anamorph. She she doesn't think things through, so it was just kind of a perfect combination of like. Oh well, Rachel figured it out, but it was kind of a dumb plan, so she doesn't get really that much extra credit for that, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, but it 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 really ends up making the overall lasting impression of the book um, one where where David's not really the central focus of the story. You know, does, does that make sense? He was for a hot minute, and then, like, yeah, he definitely takes a backseat. And it's it's them trying to do a lot with this book, which I give him credit. Like, of all the plot lines in this series, I wouldn't have thought of bringing David and Krayak together at the end, you know? Like, it's, it's such a random pairing of, of the enemies they face and stuff. Like, maybe one of the Andalites they've run into that were evil and stuff would have made more sense with Krayak. Well, yeah, but, exactly. No, I mean... And, 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 and yeah, so it's interesting. No, go ahead. <laughs> I just thought if they were going to bring David back, they should maybe not have the crack influence and and have him be a credible threat through some other alternative means besides the the sentient rat pitch that that was quickly scoffed as unrealistic. Well, I think it, it makes sense with David's character from before that he would have sought out the Yerks. And tried to pit them against the Animorphs. Like, that would have made the most sense because he literally did that in the first and second book of his trilogy where he, like, turned sides because they were about to die. Um, so that would have made sense to me if, if it would have been, like, Vizzer 1 and David, like, teamed up. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Visor One is not the type to accept help uh, from a human, let alone a Nothlet and, and this cocky Yeah, but if a Nothlet... If a Nothlet said, hey, I know who the Animorphs are, I will f- I'll give you the Andalite Bandits, you know, straight up on a platter. I think Visitor 1 would listen to the weird rat creature. Um, <laughs> but anyway, this is when we get into the weird gladiator portion of the book. The Temptation um, of Rachel. Yeah, the Temptation of Rachel. It's just like Christ. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so so Drode and Kreak. Um, they tell Rachel, like, hey, we can save you from being a rat. And not only that, but we're going to make you super Rachel. Which This is something the fans are well aware of, and I've talked about quite a bit. But basically, they describe it in the book as, like, giving you, like, super morphing capabilities. Like, you're not just restricted to animals you've touched. But basically, Rachel turns into this super ripped, like, beefcake version of herself. But she's also got... Uh, like X-23 Wolverine claws uh, that come out of her fingernails. And she can grow to any height. Let's give her a bunch of Marvel powers. Yeah, yeah, very undefined. <laughs> yeah, and um, to prove that they're serious, and they're going back and forth between the rat trying to convince her to take on uh, their offer, but uh, to, to really convince her, they're like, we can give you anything. We're going to give you Visor One, your biggest enemy, leader of the Yurk invasion, right now. You can end the war right now. And so they bring Visor One in, and Visor One is like, yo, what up? <laughs> I was sleeping, eating grass. What are we doing? Um, and, and, and and Rachel starts fighting him and like teasing him, and, and immediately Visor One, I mean, this is the most Visor One we've ever seen him, where he immediately says, "Oh, giant glowing eyeball god, I'll join you. I'll I'll be your soldier. Let me let me take on this." And Krayak's like, "Shut up, um, <laughs> you're inconsequential." <laughs> yeah, uh, and finally, uh, Rachel decides not to kill Visor One, which seems insane considering what they did. You know, three books from now or four books from now, where they're just willing to do anything to end the war. Um, she chooses her her soul and her morality over this power, and Kreak turns her back into a rat, and Visor One is yeeted off uh, to wherever he was before. Um, so yeah, and then we get into the, the the ending of the book. I think that was by far uh, the most interesting uh, part of this book was was I guess that really quick involvement with Visor One just sort of being brought in as a, a fight prop um but uh yeah yeah cassia's stuck back in her her rat morph and and cassia's slowly dying uh drode and krayak also just bounce (laughs) well they realized they're probably not gonna get her to kill jake right at this moment but they've still you know started pushing her towards that edge that she's been heading towards uh um and I, I like this. I like how Rachel gets out of this situation. This, I feel like, is very Rachel, where she starts talking to the dumb minions of David and convinces them that she'll give them so much more money and whatever they want. And, uh, you know, they just think David's kind of a creep, too. So it makes sense for them to work with her, considering she's not a trapped rat. Uh, I think it's a, a pretty good argument on her part to make them switch sides. It's it's definitely uh, did her character a favor in showing that she could still be, you know, tactical in her war efforts instead of just the brute force. Um, granted, they're not masterminds or anything. It's not like she pulled a fast one over on Visor 1 or something. <laughs> yeah, and then the ending... You know, the goons are, I think they're, like, put in the cages. Like, they get overpowered because she she morphs the bear and, like, you know, knocks them out and puts them back in the cage. She frees Cassie. David flips out, knows that his, his time has come, and he runs away. And so Cassie and Rachel have this little scene. I think this is honestly the ending of this book is the best part of this book. And uh, her and Cassie have this back and forth of like, oh, who's going to go after him? We have to like solve this because if he gets away, he'll go to the Yorks or something will happen. And so Cassie like reluctantly is like, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll go take care of it. But Rachel, 
she kind of understands, and I guess it's her arc in this book. She realizes that, you know, somebody has to make the hard decisions, and she's someone who can do that. And it might cost her her soul, but at least she thinks she's in the moral right. And for now, that's enough. And so she tells Cassie, no, I've got it. And she goes after David and, and, you know, turns rat. And she actually figures out, like, where he is. And and she's really smart about finding him. And uh, when they confront each other and she gets him and and traps him, um, he doesn't even trap him. He's just waiting for her. And she gets to him and, and he basically is just, like, watching the sunset and is like, you know, whatever you caught me. Like, this is straight out of Black Panther. Uh, when, <laughs> when, when Black Panther, you know, uh, they, they meet at the end of the enemy and, uh, they're talking or whatever and just waiting to whatever. And, uh, David says, just kill me, you know, whatever. I, I don't want to be a Nothal anymore. I don't want to be a rat anymore. I'm not going back to the island. I'd rather die. Just kill me. And she's like, oh, I can't do it. I don't, I don't want to kill you. Blah, blah, blah. We can figure this out. And then the book just ends, but it is heavily, heavily heavily implied that she just did what she had to and killed david yeah that's the thing is it it is all implication it's kind of up to the reader to decide uh what in rachel's mind was the right thing to do was the right thing to capture him and relocate him to another isolated area or just outright kill him i think i think it very clearly says that she killed him because um we heard right before this part what the consequences are be if they let him go he'll go to the yurks and they know he'll do that they know he'll still seek power or want to get revenge on them so they know that'll happen and then he refuses to go back to the island he said he'd rather die than go back to the island and even if they put him back on the island there'd still be a pretty good chance of him getting off eventually uh and he doesn't come back in the series and we do a huge time jump at the end of this book series so I think the only answer is that, I mean, this is probably one of the darkest moments in the Universe book series. Rachel flat out murders David to save the rest of the Animorphs. That is certainly the most interesting way of looking at it, I think, as far as Rachel's character is considered. And, and I could agree with you there. It, it was very and I think it's heavily really, implied. It's really interesting to, yeah, and it's really interesting to her character the idea that she ends this book, her arc, is her being like, you know what? I am morally good. And then her decision at the end of the book is to murder a kid who's suffering and trapped as a rat. That, that, that like, was that's... the right thing to do, you know? <laughs> I know. It's the, it's the, I mean, this the greatest thing about Animorphs. We can talk about the craziness at the end of the day and the morphing beavers and everything else. But the good thing about the series is the, the philosophical questions and, and the idea of what's right and wrong in war. And, uh, yeah, it's just one of those moments that really makes you think. And, that, you know, they, they probably knew they couldn't get away with, you know, her stomping on another kid as a rat and, like, breaking his little neck uh, at the end. So that's why they left it, like, in this, like, kind of ambiguous ending. But I think it's pretty clear. She probably just reached down and, and yeah, cracked his little neck. Um, that, yeah. that That is, as you say, how the book ends. And uh, before we get into our reviews proper... There is one thing that I, I just wanted to point out or like bring up to you. Um, sure. There are certain lines of, of text or dialogue within the book, throughout the book, scattered throughout the book, that are a bolder, italicized font. Um, and they all seem to be uh, like somebody talking to Rachel, somebody telling Rachel little pieces of information. And um, we're never really given a solid answer what that is or who is whose lines of dialogue those are. Um, but I would like to speculate with you here that... Can I tell you who I think it is? Uh, or were you about to say who you think it is? Yeah, yeah. Well, I was just going to say I speculate that these are the words of somebody in the future um, that are just, you know stylistically inserted here because they're relevant to Rachel later. Oh. Um, you think it's someone like reading her war journal? No. <laughs> I think somebody is talking to Rachel. When we read these words, um, like I say here, uh, oh God, I had had it open to a page and then I moved away from it. When we read these words, um, that is somebody talking to Rachel just in the future um, because they're all statements that i seem like you said 
they could be attributed to somebody. So like there's one that says, remember this, your cousin's life is your passport to salvation in the arms of Krayak. Um, yeah, I assume that was Krayak talking about himself in the third person. Oh, you're right. That is that is one of Krayak's. Um, there's a different text that's that's not Krayak specific. But is that one bold and italicized? Yes. So it's like, it's all up to you. There are no rules except your own. You have free will. What you do with it is up to you. It's all up to you, Rachel. Those words. Um, so I think there's two ways. I think you, I think it's either Krayak, it's the Drode, one of those, but I believe it's Krayak since they bold and italicized. The other option is that this was all a dream and that's Rachel talk, Rachel's conscience talking to herself. Really? Okay, those are your suspects, huh? Um, yeah. Well, I would propose to you two suspects, I think. Uh, the first of which being Tobias. I, I really got uh, a heavy um, sense of like familiarity and, and like mm-hmm. caring from it. And it just seemed everything like it said, would be something Tobias would be telling Rachel specifically to like help her out of her, you know, paranoia and, and just war funk. Um, this is kind of the, it's what strikes me as something Tobias is saying to Rachel towards the end of the war. And when we get to her inevitable, eventual death scene, uh, these are probably going to be the words that Rachel like recalls hearing from Tobias or Jake. I thought Jake, this could have also been a really good um, dialogue between her and Jake to settle that kind Mm of um, the leadership responsibility, that whole debate debacle between these two. Um, I, I see either of those as potential candidates, but I'd be really interested to hear what other readers thought. Well, those are really interesting. I thought also maybe it's the Alimist. Um, talking to her, you know, after or before her death or something like that. But um, doesn't the fact that we see one of those lines that's bold and italicized said by Krayak, doesn't that imply that the rest of them are him too? See, I don't think so. Because why would Krayak be telling her inspirational things? Like, Krayak's not using his mental mind effery to, to, you know, give her inspirational quotes um crack is tearing her down like we see him do throughout the book so that's that's what strikes well, me picture... as, as it's an insert from the like the editors or you know the writers well picture that last inspirational quote if it was said in like this mechanical evil voice like maybe it's less inspirational than <laughs> it is all up to you rachel choose your destiny yeah yeah i i thought it was interesting it, it kept me going it didn't really offer any answers yeah. Unfortunately, that's kind of the whole thing. The the whole point of the book <laughs> is to deny yeah. you answers to some interesting questions. <laughs> um, okay, well, yeah, no, that is interesting, and, and there's definitely some different voices that could be. Um, let's jump into our reviews. I'd like you to go first, if you don't mind. Okay, well, that's all right. Uh, I I have, like I said, read this book at least several times, like three, four probably all together, and every time, it fails to make an impression on me. And that's kind of a problem for these Animorphs books, um, especially at this late point in the series, and especially with the return of a popular character. Because now it just ends up feeling like the book that tried to draw everyone in because of its link to David, when it really falls short of being that. David, like I said, ends up being a bit player in this overall story that's about... Krayak trying to tempt Rachel and it doesn't even feel like a traditional Animorphs plot uh the the cast interactions are so minimal in this book uh Rachel has a little bit of dialogue with with Marco and Jake primarily inside of dreams um and and there's a little bit of interaction with Cassie uh and acts and Tobias to a certain extent too, but extremely minimal uh, as far as the overall plot goes. It is mostly a Rachel monologuing sort of book where, where most of the story is told through what she's going through. Um, and physically, it's not much. Like, literally, she just ends up in a trap for most of the book, um, and not a whole lot happens beyond that point. This would be like a bottle episode of a TV show where they were trying to save budget oh, yeah. 
for like future like the finale so yeah <laughs> you're right it could and, and that could have still worked had the setup been a little bit more interesting instead of david just like trying to trap rachel as a rat like you said if krayak had done the exact same thing that elemis did in offering to buy us his previous human body if david had come back as a human with morphing power um he'd have been a credible threat and it would have been a way cooler book oh man you just gave me an idea you know it would be the best version of this book what? Um, if the entire book was David, like he actually got a book because he didn't get a book in the David trilogy. Oh. If he had it from David's perspective, being a rat on an island and Krayak coming to him and the whole book literally is like the temptation of Christ. It's like Krayak offering him abil- the abilities to destroy the Animorphs and him at the end of the book, like he sees the Animorphs like barely hanging on, like maybe in some fight or something, and they're all like about to die. He sees how bad their home life is and how tortured they all are at the time towards the end of the war, and it's him deciding, you know what? No, I'm going to, I'm going to not kill them. They, they deserve to win. They, you know, like him changing his mind on getting <laughs> that would have been a pretty powerful book. Yeah, that that would have totally been a. Probably easier book to pitch, honestly, than this thing. Um, this feels and dark. Oh, yeah. Him deciding to stay a rat on the island at the end would have been super dark ending. <laughs> There's a lot of dark things they could have done uh, rather than leaving yeah. it ambiguous like they did. Um, it would have definitely been more fun to see something a little bit more overall canon affecting um, than what we got. Uh, uh, What's your score? What's my score? Um, I, I hadn't quite gotten to this. Oh, I was just going to say, in, in summary, this doesn't feel like the typical Animorphs book experience. This feels more like uh, a sort of fever dream that K.A. Applegate woke up at 2 a.m. And, and like typed out quickly um, to show us how tormented Rachel is <laughs> on the inside instead of the proper David's return that we wanted to get. And because it fails to leave this overall, like, it fails to fill this particular void that we want or this need, you know, to have some closure to the David story. Um, and for that reason, I, I, I just, it's so forgettable to me. It ends up being probably like a two, uh, a two Wolverine claws out of a possible five. <laughs> so maybe you could sway me more. I don't know. What do you, what do you got for this? That's what I guessed your score was going to be. And I almost went into this saying, whatever your score was, I was going to give it one more than that. Uh, but I actually but I actually came up with my score uh, on my own. But I'm, I'm going to tell you a little more. So to me, this is a book I read a, a whole bunch. So this is a little bit of nostalgia for me. I, I was into this book, and I love David. I think he's the most interesting character. And pieces of that do come out in this book. Um you know, I don't think it's completely worthless as far as David's concerned. And then as a Krayak book, besides the Olympus Chronicles, this is also like kind of a big Krayak book and, and him, you know, just some other machination of, of him and the Drode, like trying to fool the Animorphs. I mean, they really have nothing better going on <laughs> other than messing with these kids. Um, so, you know, it was an interesting book to me. And reading it this time, surprisingly, I actually liked it a little more than I did originally. It's not going to be a five out of five. No way. Um, But I started thinking about it in different terms. And we've been talking about Marvel a lot in this episode. And even before we started recording, we're talking about Spider-Man and the Marvel universe and all that stuff. And that really is the perspective that I, the insight I got into this book and it's place in the Animorph series. And to me, just like the Marvel universe within movies or the comics, you have your street level, heroes which is like captain america uh spider-man um you know fantastic four somewhat um those are your street level everyday living in new york uh superheroes and then you have the cosmic stories you go into the eternals uh which is soon to be a major motion picture um the guardians of the galaxy uh captain marvel all those ones those are your cosmic stories and Animorphs kind of has that going on. You have your day-to-day war with the Yurks on Earth, and you have your cosmic stories with Krayak and the Olympus. And once I put it in those terms, the cosmic stories like this one allow them to kind of go crazy 
with what they're doing and, and do the weird concepts they couldn't do with with just your normal everyday animorph story and really differentiate things so i actually enjoyed reading it a little more this time uh even though a lot of the parts are you know kind of ridiculous and don't make sense to the plot overall it, it does fit in that cosmic side of the animorph stories so for me Again, I couldn't give it a 5 out of 5, and I'm not even going to give it a 4 out of 5. I don't think it reaches that level. But I am going to give this a 3 out of 5 drowned rats um, trapped in your clothing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I it hit a little more, and I do have that nostalgia for it, so it's it's worth at least a 3 in my book. Uh, in celebration of your uh, review... Um, there, I'll just tell you a quick story. I was in my backyard doing some yard work and one of the yard decorations I have is a little toilet bowl and it does on occasion during Mm -hmm. rainfall fill up with water. And, uh, long story short, there, there is a dead mouse floating in that toilet bowl in my yard. That's David. Exactly. Exactly. That's where Rachel dropped the corpse after she flat out murdered him. And that's a good visualization for this book no i'm just kidding it, it was a fine book i mean i'm i'm way 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 more excited for the next book the one that we're about oh, to yeah. read because uh i i'm staring at uh animorphs number 49 the diversion and i'm not gonna read it right here but i read the back of the book and this is where <laughs> stuff starts to get good okay for sure. Good. For sure. Yeah. It's it's only now starting to get good. <laughs> I mean, they were good, but we we did hit a few of these books. Like we got the aircraft carrier book where World War Three almost started, and I didn't care for that book, but at least it was a big start to the end of the war plot. And even the Hork-Bajir, um Civil War book, <laughs> the last one we read, even it was like, okay, we're getting into the end times. Um, and then we get hit with the return, which is a psychological drama with, with <laughs> Rachel and her demons. Um, they've had a, a weird so release schedule for, for the last couple of books. They've been trying some yeah. more weird experimental plots. Well, so is the, is the next book, the official countdown to the end start? Uh, that, had, that had already begun. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe that hadn't already begun. Nope. Um, I don't know. It doesn't say that at the back. It still has the same the same text up top that it always oh, okay. did. But just to give you like an approximation of the popularity of these books, I am holding in my hands physical copies of both 48 and 49. And the copy of The Return is like flawless. Nobody touched this book. <laughs> and then my copy of the diversion is so weathered it looks like you know i got it out of uh grandpa g's basement trunk um man they are getting ridiculously hard to find like when we started this podcast we made it a goal to each collect you know the entire physical copies of the books best thing and, i ever did you know, we were hitting up yeah we were hitting up half price books and all these things and i sold off my collection because I thought the podcast was done. You know, I wasn't worried about my daughter reading them because I thought they'd re-release them all and stuff like that because the re-releases had just started. And so, um, yeah, I, I got rid of my collection. You still have yours. But I started once we rebooted the podcast. I was like, oh, okay. Well, I'll just collect physical copies of the last 10 books for this podcast. Yeah. And I was able to find the Alemis Chronicles, and that's it. <laughs> I have gone to, I've gone into the corners of the internet I've practically like searched out the dark web, like Etsy, like weird places, eBay, like everywhere you can find. You cannot get individuals of this book anymore, new or used. It's so hard to find. And if you do find them, it's someone trying to sell their entire collection for like 500 bucks. That, that almost, now so. that you tell me that, that makes me want to go to my local used bookshop and just find whatever Animorphs books I can find and uh, buy them. Well, they have the... For some reason, they have the first 10 uh, pretty often. Like the half-price books near me, um, they have the original old copies of like 1 and 3 and like 7. Like for some reason, I think those were the most popular of the books, like right when it started. And But it is impossible to find the end of the series. Like they maybe they had uh, shorter print runs 
or something, you know. Yeah, I, don't know. I think those were the ones I had to find online towards the end of uh, my run for for buying it's, the physicals. You can't even find them online anymore. It's it's insane. Well, definitely so. hang on to those books if you have them. Otherwise, let's try and start a uh, uh, like a huge supply demand um, uptick in Animorph books and really get the reprints going in an effort for the uh, upcoming second graphic novel later this fall or winter season. Uh, that we will, of course, be talking to October. A uh, friend of the show, artist Chris Grein, um, co-host in, <laughs> Chris Grein. In in anticipation or or possibly in celebration of the release of that, uh, look forward to that in October, yeah. or November. When he starts his marketing uh, tour, you know he's going to hit you know uh, the Tonight Show and and you know some classic book fairs, and then he's going to come on uh, you know Thought Speak, obviously, because we have that kind of sway. We're so. on his list, sure. Um. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, well, that's this is a, a you know, I can't be more excited about the next book, but uh, we're continuing on this reboot return of the podcast. We'll see what happens when we finish the series, whether we'll do the TV show or whatnot. But I'm just glad we got another one in the can and we're finding time to do this. So absolutely. Good, good exciting absolutely. Times. Thank you all so much for checking us out and supporting us on Patreon. Uh, really keeps the show going and, and staying alive with uh, all the the listener support <laughs> that keeps the show going. Yeah. So thank you. If you haven't already, jump over to one of our social media feeds. Uh, we have a Facebook page. It's pretty active. Uh, we're on Twitter at Morphcast, and then we're both individually on Twitter as well if you just search our names. Um, you can also find us on the Reddit um, uh our Animorphs, which I helped design all their logos and cover banners and stuff. Work. I'm no longer, oh, I'm no longer a uh, um, a mod of the subreddit because I deleted that Reddit account because I just like to change Reddit accounts every couple of Gave years. Gave up so the mod life. I'm no longer a mod. I did. I wasn't doing much, um, <laughs> but I did. I did do all the design stuff. But anyway, check out our social media feeds. Leave us a review. Again, that really helps out the show. Check us out on Patreon for extra episodes and some other content you can't get anywhere else. Otherwise, I've been Coleman. I have been Michelle. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see y'all next time.